welcome to Christian Life Church Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. If you have a Bible with you this morning, um, I'd like you to go to Acts chapter 1 for me. I found myself yesterday in all of life's busyness reflecting, I suppose, on times or seasons in my life where I've seen the power of God work in just the most profound way. Have you had times like that? Have you experienced God in that way? Yes. I remember the first time I prayed for someone. Actually, I was an assistant here in the church. His name was Stuart. And um, he was training to be a professional cricketer. And I was asked if I'd pop out to visit him. And so I went along to his house, a young man in his early 20s, just finishing university. And um, he confessed to me that his whole career had fallen apart because he'd had an injury, a sports injury. Um, And um, he asked me if I would pray for him. And I must be honest with you, I kind of felt it was a little bit tagged on the end of our chat. We talked about girlfriends and, well, not me, he talked about his girlfriend. And we talked about life and God and different things. And so without any great sense of faith whatsoever or even feeling that I was particularly holy that day, I rested my hand upon his knee. Don't worry, he had his hand under it for those of you who are concerned. And... um, You know, God works through two hands. Isn't that amazing? The Spirit works through two hands. And I prayed for his knee. And um, he he immediately said, you know, that just feels a little bit less painful, which is a good sign, do you think? That's a good sign, isn't it? So I just, I took that and thought that's all there was to that. And then on Sunday, he turns up at the church and he's walking, not like Brian and me, but he's walking, (laughs) he's he's walking like really well. And I said, gosh, your, your knee it looks like it's a lot better. He said, you know what? I haven't had no pain since the prayer the other day. And, and, you know, I just, he said, I can't believe it. I said, you can't believe it. I can't believe it. <laughs> you know, why, why would God take a moment like that and do something quite significant for a young man when we were all so casual about it? You know, he casually asked for prayer. I casually prayed. There wasn't any great sense of moment to it for me, or I didn't feel like a, the breath of heaven on me or any of those things. But I learned from that experience that our God, in every context we find ourselves in, has made himself available to bring his power to our lives, to bring healing and restoration. And I decided from that moment on that the best thing I could possibly do was maybe pray for a few more people. And you know, that's where it went terribly wrong. It went terribly wrong. There used to be an older lady in the church, and uh, she came up to me one Sunday because she'd heard of my track record with healings. And she said, you know, Pastor, I'm not feeling too well, but please don't come and visit me. Because the last two ladies that you visited have passed into the glory and the presence of God. Please don't come to visit me. You know, I, I kind of knew what she meant, but I did feel a little bit hurt by it, I must be honest. And uh, <laughs> I, what God gives you as a gift, sometimes you have to contend for. Listen to me. In a moment, the Holy Spirit can move in the most remarkable way, but we must never be presumptuous. There's no rehearsed pattern to how these things work. We simply are following the leader 
our Holy Spirit wherever He desires to take us. And I think Pentecostals love, 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 love being filled with the Holy Spirit. I think that's what we're all hoping God will do for us today, and I hope He does too. But you know, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's unto something. God fills you so that He can, through you, fill other people and bring life to their situation and their context. But you can't, you can't formulate what it looks like for us to live in relationship with the Holy Spirit. We simply are consistently learning about God. Amen? And um, the kiss of death to that is for us to presume. Because when we do, like I was trying to, with praying for all these people and the lady didn't want me to visit her, you know, I thought suddenly I was some healing evangelist, you know, and God was going to do great things through my life. Wild notions, young, impetuous, ego, perhaps all of those things. But, but I wanted to see God move. And, you know, I think God has honored those intentionalities. The, the amount of times over the 37 years I've walked with Jesus, I've seen the Holy Spirit do great things. In fact, you know, just only a matter of a couple of weeks ago, here in this church, we had a word of knowledge for someone here who had pain down their left-hand side, I think it was. And um, we identified that perhaps that might be a trapped nerve or a problem in those kinds of ways. And in a very incognito, submersive kind of way, God just prayed, we prayed for this person. They stood, no idea what the problem was. There were multiple words of knowledge. But we prayed for this young lady, and um, she was totally set free of a, a problem. Is that true, Sarah? What was the problem? Yeah. Yeah. Prayed for you. Amen. Amen. And just in time to move house. <laughs> Would have been difficult to move house with a trap nerve, wouldn't it? <laughs> All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. So we, we can't be presumptuous and we can't look for formulae because they don't exist in the kingdom of heaven. Um, what's so important, and this is why I challenged us at the beginning, is that we walk in step and in unity with the Holy Spirit consistently. We can't turn up in a moment and expect Him to show up because we've required or requested it. God's whole reason for sending us the Holy Spirit is that we would have a forever friend who lives and abides in us, teaches us how to live in the fullness of Jesus, and leads us consistently away from self-absorption into God-obsession. That is the goal of the Holy Spirit. So today, we're going to camp on this little scripture, and I'm going to tell you some things that I think may be of value to you. You may like them, not like them, I don't know, we'll see. But Father, I just pray once again that you would bless us with your presence as we come to this thought, Father. It's just a thought about God for humility in a moment like this. We ask for clarity. Comes upon you. A promise, a promise 
to you and to me from God. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But how does that happen? Why does God want us to have power? Perhaps I think the greatest nugget in our thinking right now in regard to how we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us is simply this, is God will always put power where there's powerlessness. You just need to sit, sit on that for a minute. There's a pattern I've watched him in my own life um, show me that in the greatest moments of weakness, when I have arrived at the end of myself and I've tried every which way I know how, how to live this life for Jesus, in those moments, those tender, broken, fragile, and often very awkward and uncomfortable moments, in my weakness, I see his power. And we're all nodding because we know and we desire that most part of our lives, we're trying to walk with God. For God to rest. In other words, all of that human stuff, I will, I can, I should, I must, all of that stuff is not the best place for God to start revealing His grace. It's when we recognize that without Him, we really have nothing. That's whenever God begins to move. It's when we come to the end of ourselves that we begin to start to really see but the very outer fringes of his garments. We start to see the goodness of God and the greatness of God. I think the Apostle Paul, <laughs> he kind of arrived at this place in his thinking. He kept asking God to take away the thorn in his flesh. I suppose he wanted to be superhuman. I suppose he wanted to be powerful. But somehow in his weakness and in the brokenness of his own life, he received the most incredible revelations of the person Jesus Christ. And in that place of weakness, in that place of need, a significant shift took place in the way he lived his life. He moved from self-reliance to a place of God-dependence. He moved away from trying to do the right thing. And remember, he was... Um, a very learned and diligent young man in his faith and his beliefs. And he moved. Would you please, chapter 12, 
And in this Grace is sufficient for you, and listen to this phrase, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. My strength is made perfect in weakness. I'll say that again. My strength is made perfect in weakness. You know, Paul embraced that thought to such a point that he actually goes on to say something quite profound a little bit later, as he grew in his understanding of his weakness, he began to take pleasure in it. He even realized it was the means by which God used him powerfully and how God worked through him gloriously. In 2 Corinthians, had died. They were frightened. They were anxious. They were without very to the point where they just went like this. They just went like this. Okay, God. We have nothing of any value to contribute. Do you know how much God wants a bunch of people to get to a place, one place, a place? Difficulties? that God is using to shape and mold you is to bring you to a place where you just go, okay, 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 Jesus. And then you pray this prayer. Show your power. When you come to that place of powerlessness, you begin to understand the power and the glory and the majesty of God. But while you still think you can, you are highly disqualified too. For in your weakness, in my weakness, that's where his power, that's where his strength begins to be made known. What Paul is trying to teach us here is the paradox of his condition. In the one breath, he's highly capable 
In the other hand, he's completely without thought, understanding, or even can fathom the breadths and depths and powers of God. It's the wonderful paradox of being human. I think that's why it says we know in part and we see in part. In Corinthians, it talks about when we come into the fullness, what we even think we knew, what we think was valuable, what we think was important, is so inferior, so inferior to the fullness of who God truly is. I find it wild sometimes when people talk about things. I don't know if I'm just a freak, but, you know, people say, well, I recognize my wife in he heaven, or, well, I know my children in heaven, and I just think sometimes, do you know what? I don't mean to be rude or anything about my wife. She's the best woman I've ever met, but you know what? I know that when I get to heaven, I won't be looking for her. I will only have eyes for the lamb who was slain. What we see right now, we see in part. We have glimpses of who God is. We have fragmented understanding of his nature and his character. But when we behold him, it truly is all that we think we have known and all that we think we have learned will fade and vanish in comparison to the glory that awaits the children of God. Someone say amen. amen. And it is for that, my sister, that we come to church. It's for that that we walk in the rain. We don't come here because the music or the preaching is fabulous. We come because we need God. We need Him. We need to see Him. We need to move with Him. And we need to be filled. God's grace have been given the capacity to pursue him with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. But if you think you're powerful, if you think you can, clarity, in my opinion, of how this actually works. I'm going to just sit on it for a few minutes with you because I think it says a few things about us. It says, while we were still yet sinners. Listen, when you had no interest whatsoever, when you could not have cared less about God or truth or righteousness, when your heart was like granite, fists were raised to heaven in complaint, you ever said about God had a swear word attached to it. While you were far removed from any blind reality that you could not see him for all that he is, Christ Jesus died for you. You see, your weakness, your weakness was your own blindness. But God in his grace brought rest. You're not saved because you found Jesus. You're saved because Jesus came and found you. How can a dead man rise to life except the one who is risen rises him with him? You cannot reinvent yourself. Any wild notion of self-improvement or self-evolution as far as spiritual things are concerned is poppycock. It doesn't exist in the kingdom of God. Let me explain to you how God works. You can't 
and you move away from self and you look to the God of wonder, He moves in power. That's what happened when you got saved. You stepped away from self and you stepped towards grace. It's a very fragile platform for some of us because we're so used to making things happen. Only by grace are we saved. Only through God's act of mercy towards us have we relationship with Him. And so that's how it started. Moving away from self-reliance to a place where we have only and can only depend on God, then I want to remind you that's how it continues. That's what this life is all about. Therefore, it can't be possible for me to turn up on Pentecost Sunday and sing Show Your Power and expect the Holy Spirit to dance to the drum that I'm beating when I have been called to dance to His drum throughout the course of my week. It's inappropriate for me to think of God in those terms. But the good news is, your weakness is God's place where His glory begins to move. I remember years ago, Stuart Blount said to me, he said, I figured something out about you. I went through all of the sin in my life, hoping he wouldn't catch me out on anything. And um, he said, it isn't so much that you love God more. <laughs> I thought, where's this going? He said, it's just that you need him more. And you know what? In a moment, I realized that was truth. When you look around the room sometimes and you see people worshiping God with such an abandonment to self, it isn't because they love God more. I mean, they might. It's because they need Him more. Do you know one of the greatest meetings I've ever been in was full of people who are working out their addiction to alcohol and drugs, Teen Challenge, and they stand at the front of the church. They used to come into a church we pastored in Bristol, about three or four rows of these young men, just very broken, the bodies trashed by addiction, and they would lift their voices and worship. And by default, they impacted the whole room. Why? Because all day, every day, they in all kinds of scenarios, recognized that they need Jesus. They need Jesus. They have nowhere else to go, no one else to turn to, and nothing else to rely upon. And you see, when I watch things like that, I realize what Stuart said to me is true. It isn't that I loved God more than some other people, and people were kind enough to say the devotion they saw in my life was, you know, inspiring to them in some way, but actually, it wasn't that at all. I just need Him more. I need Him more. Peter goes to Jesus, and everyone's walking away from Jesus, and Jesus says, do you want to go too? And this is what Peter says, where else could I go? Only you have the words of eternal life. In other words, Jesus, you're my last resort. I don't have a plan B or a plan C. It's either you and me or it's nothing. There's nowhere else to go, Jesus. Who else can I turn to? And you see, when we get to that place, and I trust me, I know you've been there occasionally, your husband dying, 
There's nowhere else to go. Your marriage falling apart, there's nowhere else to go. Your kids going crazy, there's nowhere else to go. And when you have nowhere else to go, you have someone to know. And that someone is the God who starts to build from brokenness, and he does something. The problem, church, is we don't like to be broken. We'd rather be fake. We'd rather pretend we're doing well than be honest enough to say to God or even a friend, I'm just not living the life that I know I could be living with God. So we don't despise our brokenness. We need to understand where God begins to build something wonderful. How many broken people do we have in this room? There's only two types of people in the room. I'll, I'll clear it up for you in case you're confused. Those who are in recovery, and then there's those who are in denial. Paul, the apostle, understood the profound reality that when he has reached his end, he starts to see the possibilities and the power and the presence of God. The word that he uses here, made perfect in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, this is what it actually means, to be fully or entirely accomplished or made complete. In other words, in my weakness, you complete me, God. I think when we, like Paul, stop resisting and complaining and let the power of Christ rest on us, we make room in our lives to receive countless unexpected blessings from the Lord. By allowing him to have the space in the true reality of who we are, we start to experience the great reality of who he is. Our weakness is simply an opportunity for God to display his glory, his flawless glory. And the grace and power of God interlock with our human lives right at the point of our weakness. Now, I don't want to fool anyone into thinking that weakness and sin are the same thing. God has already provided for your sin. Jesus' blood was shed so that your sins would be forgiven. Your weakness is another matter. It's a completely different thing. I remember standing on a platform, a little bit more lighting on it than this one, and the room was black because we wanted all the lights on the stage. And the smoke machine was going crazy, you know. Smoke machines always amuse me because I think the poor man's version of that is about five or six people with six woodbines in the background going, <laughs> trying to make atmosphere, you know. And um, I'd stepped into this church. I was asked to take on this church and um, without being disparaging to the pe people that were there before us, um, the pastor didn't preach from the Bible. He felt that that was a little bit too heavy for people. <laughs> I can imagine 
what that's saying to you on the inside. And uh, he was a good-looking young man, and he would sit poised on a chair, and he would chat for five minutes about what I suppose could only be termed as self-improvement. And his subject matters were, God wants you healthy, wealthy, happy, and if he could throw in wise, we'd all be grateful. And, and so we came out of revival, so I didn't know how to do that. I, and they had this big clock at the back of the room, and um, we had an earpiece in our ear. I had to have countdowns into the introductions and, you know, two minutes to the first prayer. And this man would get up at the beginning of the service and he would say things like this. I mean, it was so rehearsed, it was profound. He would say, God is in the house. And Jane looked at me one Sunday. We did this for weeks. And she said, where? Where is God in the house? And I just start laughing because I think it's funny. But I have to go up and, and do the one-minute introduction. Now, you know me well enough by now. One-minute <laughs> introduction, what is that? So, and remember, this is the, the, the transformed version. I came out of hours of seeing God move in power. I had no frame of reference for this countdown business. And they bought this big clock, but thank God for smoke machines because I couldn't see it. I could not see the clock. And you know, if you had a chest problem, you'd be sitting on the front row going. <coughs> but in this moment, in this moment, we're standing in this space and place, knowing God enough to know he has power, watching the people want something more, and all we could offer them was a smoke machine and some lights and a few little sound bites to make their lives a little easier. And you know, I just stood there and I cried and I cried and I cried. I said, God, what have we done? What have we done? We have relied so much on our ability. We have failed to see our frailty. And consequently, we will never see your glory. We have failed to see our frailty. And consequently, we will never see your glory. And in a moment, in a moment, God began a work. He began a work because someone saw through some things that looked right on the surface, but actually they were enemies to the realities. Who needs a smoke machine when you can have the glory of God? Amen. Amen. Who needs lights whenever you can have the power of the Holy Spirit? Now, I'm not against lights and smoke machines. I'm not going to take them out and burn them in the car park any Sunday coming soon. But those are inferior man-made trappings and treasures for some people that in many ways fool us into thinking that we are making some difference in the world in which we're placed in. Our city does not need a smoke machine to bring it to life. It will never, ever come to Christ because we have a nice building. Those things are simply vehicles. There's a greater goal for all of us, and it's simply this. Show your power, O oh Lord, my God. Show us your glory. Show us your power, Jesus. We know that you have power. But to get to that point, whenever we see God move, we need the reality check that we just can't do this. 
without him. I can't change your life. I'm not even sure some days I change my life. I can't change your mind. (laughs) Goodness knows you've tried. And look how well that's gone. I can't change what you do. I have no power to change how you live your life. But there is one that if you ever come to a place of realization, has the power to restore and renew and revitalize your soul to such a place that nothing else, nothing else will compare to it. And you know, this thing about weakness and power, it's not a new phenomenon. As you go through the scriptures, you start to realize that this is how God moves. Moses, the great leader of Israel, was deeply aware of his human shortcomings. In Exodus 4 verse 10, he says, when the Lord calls him to go to Pharaoh, Moses cried, I am not adequate. Please send someone else. But God replied, and he always does this, go anyway, Moses, because listen to the power. I will be with you. Our friend Gideon, the reluctant leader, trampling grapes in the wine press. God speaks over his life. I identify with this man so much. But Gideon proves to us that God can accomplish great things through people when they start to understand and start to have a clarity about their human weakness and they start to trust in God. In Judges 6 verse 14, we see that God raises Gideon up as this mighty man, this mighty man, this warrior. And you know, I think God is so good at reduction (laughs) that when Gideon gathers all the people (laughs) to fight the battle that needs to be fought, God gets rid of most of them. Because it's not about the amount of people, it's about the amount of God. It's not about how many are fighting, it's about the Lord who fights on behalf of his people, raises and bears his mighty right arm in our weakness, his strength. kingdom will have no end. And one of my favorites that I camp on quite regularly in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1.27, but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. We start to quantify and qualify his vastness. It's only in our weakness when human effort or attempt or striving or whatever comes to see God as he truly is. ask the Holy Spirit today on his anniversary, the outpouring of the Spirit, 
Could you be, could we be like those people in the upper room of one accord? Not geographically in the same room, because you know, I don't mean to be rude, but we might be in the same room, but your head may be everywhere else. Your heart may be somewhere else. Could we ask the Holy Spirit in this moment to say, God, I don't know why, but I keep relying on my own strength. I don't know what this is, God. I resist weakness. I war against weakness. And yet, Lord God, I'm hearing this morning that in my weakness, you will prove your strength to me. I think the problem is we are orphans, though we have a declaration that we are sons. We're so used to trying to do this ourselves, we don't know how to rely on God. Amen? I think. I don't want to have these expectations on you when I'm not living with this reality consistently. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. I suppose, Lord, I've arrived at the point where I think I just can't do this. I can see that there's lots of ability and capacity in the church, but Lord, we can't change the city. We don't know how to do that, Lord. But our cry is, show your power, Lord. I'm frightened, Lord, of being vulnerable and a frightened father of recognizing my own human frailty and weakness. I'm getting on too, Lord, so that's become something of a, a thing for me. And, but you said, even your word says, Lord, even the young will grow tired and weak, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength and they will rise up with wings of eagles, Lord. Lord, when we realize that we don't have it, we start to realize that you have it all. And Lord, I don't like having need. I've, I was taught from an early, early age not to have need, but Lord, this is what your word says. My God will supply all your needs, my needs, according to his riches and glory. If I really understood how the kingdom worked, I would be the neediest person on the planet. So show your power, Lord. Show your power. Lord, the great man, John the Baptist, of who none others could even compare, according to your own words, you said, of all that have come, none is greater than he. When he saw you, when his disciples started to be interested in you, this is what he said. He must increase, and I must decrease. I know everything in me resists that. But show your power, Lord. Show your power, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you meet us where we truly are, not where we pretend we are. I just say over my friends, th their lives, I hope they say it over mine, 
it's a truth that's in many ways a bit of a burn. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers just labor in vain. And so, all to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I'd freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all to Jesus. I humbly at His feet I bow. Earthly treasures are forsaken take Jesus take me now I surrender I surrender all I surrender To Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. I humbly lay it down. I surrender Blessed Savior, I surrender all. If you want to come by God's grace to a place of acceptance in regard to your human frailty and weakness, to even follow Him or love Him, you do realize it's He that places those desires in you. Without that, what do we have? What do we bring? But he comes in gentleness, in power. He stoops and he embraces our lives and fills us to overflowing with his goodness. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning, if I'm just preaching this for one person who needs to meet you in that way, that it would be well worth it, Father. But Lord, I believe there are more of us than we care to truly be honest about. And I'm standing, Lord, and I invite those who also want to meet you in this way to stand also, Lord. We sing about your power, Lord, but your power is always made perfect 
in our weakness. If that's you and you want to experience the power of God afresh in your life and you've come to that place of maybe even imagining, perhaps the hindrance to that is your own capacities as a human being to get on with life and to do what you think you need to do, then why don't you stand to your feet too and we'll just be all together in one place. Lord, we are not bringing shame to ourselves. In fact, what we're bringing is attracting, Lord, grace to our hearts. All of us, Lord, fall short of your glory. That's a standard practice in Christianity. Not one here is without need or without sin or without, Lord God, ego <laughs> and sadly sometimes even arrogance. We just need you, Lord, to see our hearts and we no, you see through our bodies, you see who we truly are, Father, but we need to stand as a collective group of people on this day of all days and be people of one accord. We may have had the worst couple of years of our lives, and there might be all kinds of temptations to rise up and to be what we think we need to be in this hour and take back what we think has been stolen from us. But Lord, we pause for a moment in our spiritual poverty and say, God, will you build the house? Will you build the house, Lord? Will you come? Lord, you say in your Father's house there are many, many rooms, Lord, many mansions. I pray, Lord God, that you would begin to build your church. Build your church. Build it from the ground up, Lord. Build your church. You're building a people of power. Not their own power, but people who know their need for God. And Father, you're building a people of praise, a resilient people who no matter what life throws at them will always have a testimony of the goodness of God. And you know, I don't know how you feel in this moment like this, but for the first time in a long time, I feel the presence of God here. Not because the music's playing in the background, but because people genuinely in their hearts are saying yes to his invitation to experience his fullness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for making this possible for us, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we lay down <clears throat> our pretenses and our ego and our human strength and we embrace this moment of need. We ask that you come by the power of your spirit and meet us and be with us in our need. And Lord, I pray that you would do something glorious with our lives. Something, Lord, that causes you pleasure and delight in your heart. Thank you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Not that you need to be invited. This is a moment you can't keep away from. Just fill and flood our hearts right now with hope. Our weakness is not the end of the story. It's just the beginnings of your glory. Come, Lord. Fill our hearts, we pray. Spirit, break out. Break our walls down. 
Spirit, break out. Heaven, come down. Our Father, all of heaven knows your name. Sing louder. Let this place erupt with praise. Can you hear it? The sound of heaven touching earth. The sound of heaven touching King Jesus. All of heaven knows your name. Let this place erupt with praise. Can you hear it? The sound of Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So, Lord, we know that as our time in this room comes to an end, it does not mean that we can't make room for you, our great and best friend, and ask, Lord God, that you, as Moses prayed in his weakness, we pray to Lord, that as we go in our own inability sometimes, that you, by your glory, will come with us, Lord. Father, we don't want to go amongst the people <laughs> pontificating and pretending we have it all together. I think there's such a need for honesty when we're trying to reach people with your truth. But Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would go with us. And as Moses prayed, show us your glory, God. And Lord, cause us to see your goodness pass by our eyes. We pray, Lord God, you would make us so conscious of your Spirit's presence with us, Lord. The kind of people who are always readjusting their navigation systems to accommodate true north, which is the direction the Spirit is leading us. And we know, Holy Spirit, there's only one in this room who knows tomorrow, and it's not us. And if anyone can get us into the places and spaces that God has provided for us, where blessing and freedom and liberty and joy come, it's you, Holy Spirit. So be our guide, be our teacher. Fill us up, I pray, Lord. While we're about our business today, just let those flourishings of your presence just manifest in our hearts. And Lord, reveal to us your power. Reveal to us your power, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Have a great day. God bless you, church.